Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On today's show, we're going to talk about the J6 committee says indict Trump, Title 42 and the border busting tre- treachery, Arizona election lawsuit ground zero, Carrie Lake and Catherine Engelbrecht, and Twitter, latest on the files, plus Musk out. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello and welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Sometimes I think of these movie scenes I've seen. I mentioned the show before. Sometimes I play like a Star Wars clip to um, make a point about how they mesmerize people and say, these are not the drones you're looking for. Right before the show started today, I was thinking about that movie Liar, Liar. It's a Jim Carrey film and uh, it was like, I think 1997, it was quite a while ago. But in Liar, Liar, if you haven't seen it, it's a very funny movie. In Liar, Liar, he, uh, Jim Carrey, is uh, divorced, and he and his ex-wife have one son uh, who's adorable, and, you know, Jim Carrey is a liar. So he just, you know, gets himself in trouble all the time. But in any case, at one scene in the movie, um, he has bought his son for his birthday some baseball equipment, like a a mitt and a hat and a ball or something. And so uh, he's watching as... His son, to whom he's just given this birthday gift of all this baseball equipment, he's watching his son play catch with his ex-wife's boyfriend. So he's standing there watching his own son, you know, playing baseball with uh, his ex-wife's boyfriend, and they're really, you know, having a great time and you know, bonding and all that. And so Jim Carrey has this line: "I'm so glad my gift could bring these two together. My plan to phase myself out." is almost complete. I wish I had actually had time to grab that segment uh, online, but I didn't. But in any case, if you've seen that movie, you know, Jim Carrey has a lot of funny lines in there. But on a serious note, what I was thinking about it was, I was trying to capture a way to say that what we are watching the Biden administration do to America is really kind of like that. It is to essentially phase out the idea of America, not a military takeover, not a violent, you know, bombs and bullets flying, but just a complete phasing out of the idea of America, the unique and extraordinary greatness of America. So I'm going to be hitting that theme as I talk about um, through the issues in the show today. But for the first five, I just wanted to mention the January 6th committee has now announced that they are indeed going to uh, refer uh, President Trump. They want this. Um, they are empowered to make a referral. It's called um, to the Justice Department um, to uh, recommend that they investigate and potentially indict uh, Donald Trump. And the charges, you know, would be, of course, related to January 6th. And uh, those charges, they're essentially um, obstructing an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the government, and inciting or assisting in an insurrection. Those are the basic uh, charges they want to ask the Justice Department to look into. I want to say, again, as I have many times on the show before, all the information America has learned since the January 6th episode, January 6th, 2021, on the Capitol, all the information that we have learned since that time makes it abundantly clear that there was, first of all, the vast majority of people there peaceful, and they were protesting this righteous indignation, genuinely justified righteous outrage over what they could see was the stealing of the 2020 election. Even back then, January of last year, so almost two years ago now, uh, we're seeing at that time people knew that they had watched with their own eyes and ears, watched the uh, elections of 2020, watched the massive crowds showing up in stadiums everywhere. Um, You know, on two days notice, Trump could pull together a crowd of 
30, 40, 50,000 people. I mean, it was just crazy. And, you know, Biden was in his basement hiding out. And yet somehow Biden and, and Trump increased the number of votes he received, uh, which is a record, it was a record-breaking number of votes he received as a, an incumbent president running for re-election. Those votes almost always go down, as they did even with Obama. Obama got fewer votes in his second election. Somehow Trump got more, and Biden just had this enormous alleged influx of votes. And you know, we're not going to do a show today on uh, all of the evidence of election fraud. If you've listened to the show very often, you've already heard it. If you stay as an informed citizen, you already know about it. But what I wanted to say about this January 6th uh, committee uh, deciding to vote to uh, refer to the Justice Department, I, I want to make uh, like three or four points. One is that you watched during the entire Trump campaign and presidency, the, the visceral outrage by so many inside Washington, the uh, deep state, the swamp, the cabal, whatever you want to call it, the people in Washington were outraged that some outsider like Donald Trump hadn't, you know, greased the skids, hadn't served positions, didn't know people, was not a Washington insider at all. And this guy managed to win first the nomination in 2016 and then the presidency. And so during his entire uh, term as president, he was just pummeled by every single force in Washington. You had Two, you had, first of all, the Russia-Trump collusion, the non-existent collusion, the hoax that tied his administration and, and just engulfed our media and our country for two plus years. And even at the end of it all, where Mueller had to go on national television and say, there's absolutely no evidence of any kind that this occurred, and that yet still no apology, no, you know, we've really raked you over the coals. You had the two efforts to impeach President Trump. I mean, I'm just talking about the entire cabal in Washington wanted this man gone. So that's what happened in 2016 in the campaign, in the presidency, and the election, and then the four years he was president, many other efforts. Then you get around to January 20th, and I think that, excuse me, in the um, January 6th episode in Washington, and, you know, the greatest line, I think, out of the Dinesh D'Souza film, 2000 Mules, was his line um, about how this Dinesh D'Souza's description of how he saw January 6th, he, he called it the primal scream of the American people. They're just saying, you can't be serious. We all know that Biden didn't win. We all know. And since that time, so much more evidence has developed. Among the things that matter, though, as to this particular decision is the question of how much the January 6th episode in Washington was contrived and orchestrated again against the American people, again against Donald Trump. You know, all the evidence we talked about before, we had Nancy Pelosi receiving a direct communication from President Trump saying, I really think you ought to have extra protection at the Capitol that day because, you know, it's a big day, January 6th, people are upset. He urged and authorized extra protection at the Capitol. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't do it. Throughout the whole course of the alleged investigation, it was more like a persecution by the January 6th committee, simply allowing the Capitol Police to withhold thousands of hours of video so it would have shown much more of what occurred. Uh, you have just, I mean, there was so much that went on uh, on that day, including very shortly after the uh, protests on January 6th, many of the key players in our country started saying, oh, that was an insurrection. You think that was an insurrection? They were building the narrative on back then on January 6th. And after all this investigation by this January 6th committee and their efforts to go after people and their third world level, level banana republic dictator treatment by the uh, American justice system of people arrested in connection with January 6th and still nothing like evidence of an insurrection, evidence of a conspiracy, none of that emerged, none. There are still going after him. And I know the committee, Jeremy says committee has two token R people on it. People put, still dare to put an R by their names, but you know, it's basically comprised of Democrats. And, but really it's, it's a bigger thing than that. It is the Democrats making a, a reference, uh, pretty much referring over to the uh, DOJ, trying to get an indictment of Trump, but it's still the Washington cabal, the insider deep state swamp whatever you want to call these people who just, it isn't just because Trump is an outsider. 
It isn't just because he wasn't first a governor or a, or a U.S. congressman or a senator. It's because what he, the message he brought to Washington, he brought to the American people, the revival of the idea of America, and we're going to bring America back, and we're going to bring America with strong borders and, and good trade deals that are fair to us, and reasserting America as a country rooted in freedom and, and the concept of, the, of free markets and capitalism, all these things, the leftist cabal sitting in power in Washington saw their power and their place threatened, saw their path toward making America more and more a part of the international effort to bring about this new world order, World Economic Forum, a great reset. All of that was going to be dashed. All this effort they had laid down, laid the groundwork for to get America down that path was simply being dashed by one man who really inspired the American people to believe in themselves again. So wrapping up the, the um, this first five, I'll say, you know, number one, they all that this committee can do is make a referral to the DOJ. They can say, we really, really think you ought to indict this guy. They cannot themselves indict him. Uh, number two, the um, old age old adage, really important to remember that, you know, a good prosecutor could get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. I mean, you can always find something, especially by someone uh, of prominence and someone with a long public record and great wealth. There's always something to indict, always, because that is the nature of the justice system. Number three, this indictment, this referral over the DOJ, obviously any grand jury pulled together is gonna come from Washington, DC, which votes as like 98% or 96% Republican. So we, they're, they're in a place that they are, they're really going there to understand this. Uh, months ago, when people started talking about, you know, the January 6th, they may right merely indict Trump. You know, the people thought, uh, you know, or many people said that they wouldn't dare. He's the most popular president in American history. They wouldn't dare, and they did, and they mean it, and they really do want to find a way to keep him out of the White House. There's also great concern being expressed about the idea that Donald Trump, uh, because he is so popular, has such a large base, that this decision to attempt to indict him, to refer him for indictment, uh, could cause some kind of follow-on uprising, follow-on protest, justifying the Biden team from, from doing even more to repress than they've already done, more to repress free speech, more to repress the American people, more to send the signal, you don't dare, don't you dare challenge the Biden administration on anything, most especially including uh, election integrity. Um, and so the idea that this is a, they're trying to poke the American people to get wound up, uh, you know, you can't, you can't dismiss that entirely. But the process in America has got to encourage, got to involve the American people standing up in lawful, massive ways, saying, we see through this, we know what you're doing, we don't like it. And again, I will remind you, these actions are being taken. These actions are being taken under the Biden administration, under he who did not win, he who occupies the White House as of 2020. And, and I'll just tell you, um, I hear people saying all the time, well, you know, Trump lost and the midterms weren't so great. We have such a massive problem with election integrity, which I'll get to later in the show. And, the, and yet we know that at some level, we know that we have massive election integrity problems. We understand that we don't get a, a straight answer in most of the uh, litigation being filed. We just don't get straight answers. We don't get bravery or backbone out of any of the state legislatures, including Republican majority ones. And so we make all these decisions and prognostications and estimations and valuations of everything Trump is doing. And, and too much of it flows from, well, you know, he didn't win, so maybe there's something we ought to really be thinking about. If, if he won, as I feel sure he did in 2020, and I think there was a much larger red wave in 2022 than the outcome as reported, we wouldn't be saying any of those things. We would be saying, yes, this is a guy, you know, may not like his tweets, may not like his personality, may not like some things he said, but this is a guy who stands up for America. We'd be cheering him on. But because of the subtle influence on the American people of the constant barrage of, well, he lost in 20, he lost in 2022, you know, uh, some of his, his uh, endorsed candidates lost, you know, maybe we got to move on from Trump. I am not about, to be really clear, there are some, and I have acquaintances like this, political allies, uh, acquaintances 
who I would actually describe as Trump sycophants, who think he everything he does is an example of you know four-dimensional chess. He's the smartest guy in the room. He's already you know ten steps ahead of everyone. I don't think all that's true. I think Trump loves America. He is has a really good good um, gut instinct for what Washington is doing, and he loves this country, and he is trying to, through his political activism as president, and since that time, trying to push to restore America, to free us from uh, the deep state swampy slime that seems to run Washington. And I commend him for that and for his bravery and the policies that underlie the Make America Great um, idea. Uh, those policies, they need to stay with America forever, even long after Donald Trump is gone. But they're going to, they're, so now to sum up the first five, the Jeremy Six Committee is going to, um, has recommended to the DOJ that they indict Trump. Uh, they look into it a lot, at least, um, you know, likely to be an unpopular move uh, in the minds of many people. And um, I just, uh, the American people need to stay alert, pay attention, uh, speak up about this because the, the idea we're going to start indicting past presidents, um, and really in this case, is because he's far more popular than the current president or any other president for that matter in a long time. Um, it's just a, it, it's a, these are very serious, serious times we live in in America, very serious times, because when you lose fair elections, you ultimately lose the country. You lose the concept of self-governance. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, so I'm going to hit um, what's going on at the border in Title 42. I, I, what, the reason I want to hit this today, you're probably all seeing these stories, uh, but Title 42 is due to elapse. Title 42 was something that President Trump took advantage of, essentially saying because of COVID, because of the you know spread of infectious disease, um, that there was another reason to um, hold off letting all, letting so many, many people enter America through our southern border. And so Title 42 is a little bit of a, it gave a breathing room, a window. Well, Title 42 is about to uh, elapse, uh, the Biden team choosing to allow it to elapse. Um, and there are now all sorts of stories and visuals and pictures of the massive, massive number of non-American citizens congregating at the southern border heading up to the southern border from Central and South America, or already in America because they swam across, ran across at night, whatever it is they did. This is, this is nothing less than an actual invasion. We have to call it what it is. And, the, and I, you know, I, um, I said in the first five, I talked about Jim Carrey and his really, I, I thought just really funny line um, from Liar Liar, where he says, my plan to phase myself out is nearly complete. When you think about the things Biden has done to America, Utter abandonment of the southern border, masses flowing in, the, in the millions by this point, just under his presidency. And so you have massive millions flowing in, compounding that with, again, under the Biden administration, um, essentially draining our, um, our reserves, our oil reserves that were supposed to be there for an emergency. Um, you have the guy who is enabling and facilitating the uh, collapse or the weakening of the United States military through uh, urging their focus on you know, genders and hurt feelings and all sorts of other lunacy that has no place in the American military. Uh, you have a guy who is pushing spending at absolutely irresponsible levels that no, no, no one can, can, we can't even possibly consider ever getting on top of our budget again. As that continues, we have a guy talking about the central bank digital currency was another form of Marxism. The C, um, CDBG, which is uh, CBDG, which is central bank digital currency, the basic concept that you won't really have dollars and cents in your wallet anymore and or checking account. You're going to have the government in control of your spending, aware of your spending, and actually able to withhold your money from you because you don't meet their social credit score rules of the week. And this is a, it just couldn't be a more serious risk. Uh, we had Kevin Freeman on the show a few Thursdays ago trying to describe this for you, gave at least an initial description of why so many serious patriots are concerned about central bank digital currency. My point is Biden is taking the country down piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. When he has the January 6 prisoners treated worse than some third world countries treat their prisoners, uh, many of them no due process, um, being at very credible reports of being uh, beaten, raped, tied up in, in prison. They're, they're already in prison. 
not being given their due process rights. Uh, I mean, the whole scene in Washington, this would be unimaginable in America, even 20 years ago. But this is where we are. We have a, a, a federal system that simply will not give anything like due process to our the January 6th prisoners. And so now getting back to the border, this the border abandonment is another means by which President Biden is undertaking, is engaged in the just capitulation, just like, you know, j just the abandonment, the, the, the ending of America. So I want to warn you about some things because many people, especially in border states, can see this. They're saying, my gosh, what is this guy doing? We have no, you know, they're just flooding him. We were ending Title 42. No reason we had to do that, except, I mean, it could elapse, but it could be declared again. But in case, so the Biden administration very quickly said, hey, you know, we actually have a plan. Don't worry. We've got a plan coming up. Um, you know, we, we've got an idea here what we're going to do. And so the Biden administration is claiming um, that they have a um, um, a plan in place that's going to uh, deal with this. Po they call it their post-Title 42 immigration policy. So recognizing that many in the four border states, as long as well as others nearby, are saying, are you ever going to enforce the border? We're getting overrun. So they quickly announced, oh, yeah, Biden team, we have a policy. And here's what it is. So here's the Biden team's policies. Um, they're going to, uh, they claim, um, they're going to send increased resources to the border, hiring of a thousand additional processing coordinators, not people to guard the border and stop all the illegal crossers. Not that. They're going to hire more people to process more people as they come into this country. So they have the idea uh, that they are going to, um, uh, let me get back to they're going to, um, first of all, before I forget to say this, at every time the left does this, you have to call it out. Every time Biden or anyone on his team begins to discuss immigration or the border, they always start, start it with, well, we inherited a broken immigration system. No, they didn't. No, they didn't, actually. Unless he's referring to what Obama did in his eight years. Obama tried to break the immigration system. Obama was fine with the border being open. Trump got in, had four years with an uncooperative Congress uh, not helping him, trying to get the border under control. So he had Obama's destruction of the border. He had four years under Trump trying to get it back in line. Um, and then you have Biden coming back in and doing everything he can to completely abandon the border, which is exactly what he has done. And so now they're claiming, oh, but don't worry, uh, we're going to send increased resources. We're going to improve processing efficiency, means letting more of these people into the country faster, process them faster. Um, they claim they're going to implement greater consequences for illegal crossings, but there's no reason in anything in the history of Biden's involvement in the federal government to ever cause you to believe that, ever. He was vice president under the uh, the um excuse me, Barack Obama effort to abandon the border. Uh, they're going to target smugglers, they claim, and they're going to work with international countries and organizations, and they're going to increase the role of nonprofit groups in aiding illegals. So they're basically saying, we're going to help them come in, we're going to process them faster, we're going to support these organizations that are bringing them in, not, not, we're going to secure the border. We're going to act like we're actually a country that respects the border. That is not in the plan. And I will tell you, I don't think anything they're claiming they will do that is about targeting smugglers or doing anything else to actually make the border more secure, more safe, can be believed. There's no reason to believe it. In fact, I'll just tell you, there was a, among the most effective things that Trump administration did about the border, um, besides trying to build the wall, was to put in place a policy called Remain in Mexico. It's when you're coming here, and you have no legal immigration status. Mind you, again, America takes in about a million legal immigrants every year. So this Remain in Mexico policy does not refer to those people who actually follow the law. Remain in Mexico was all these people pouring in through central, from Central and South America to the southern border. And the policy under Trump was you got to remain in Mexico while we're processing your asylum application. Because let me make clear, asylum law actually has, we've gone over this in the show before, actually has categories. You have to meet one of those. You can't just say, I prefer to be an American citizen instead of a ex-citizen. You can't just come here because you want to. Poverty is not an excuse. Now you can change federal law and make poverty a reason to be granted asylum. But if you did that, you know, two thirds of the world would come here. 
So back to what Biden is doing, why I want to urge you to not believe him when he says, oh, yeah, we're going to do really great things in this new policy I'm proposing, is that his own officials were just in court last week clamoring clamoring to try to get a court to say that they can just completely ignore the remain in Mexico policy. Fortunately for the American people who love sovereignty and the concept of legitimate citizenship, this federal judge uh, ruled that Biden cannot yet end the Trump era remain in Mexico immigration policy. So Biden is stuck with this remain in Mexico policy. Not that he honors it, but he doesn't even want to have to pretend it's real. But, I mean, he's, uh, he doth speak with forked tongue, as they say. He's claiming he wants to clean things up, new immigration policy, but he's fighting like crazy to try to get a court to say, I don't, you know, don't even have to listen anymore uh, or give any lip service or any honoring um, to uh, the Trump era of remaining in Mexico policy. A similar thing that the left is trying. Really, really important to understand what they're trying to do because the American people, because there aren't really, you know, two good viewpoints here. There's not really... Uh, I mean, unless you're a communist um, or you're an entirely committed communist globalist and you really want all international borders eviscerated, which the New World Order people want, which the, everyone who's a this globalist world economic forum mindset, they do want all international borders simply dissolved. But unless you're there, unless you're at that place of utter lunacy and an ending of the idea of nation states that are sovereign, you recognize you have to have um, some border. You have to have something. And so the um, reporters, people on the left are recognizing that the American people are getting very upset about the way the Biden team does not enforce the border. So the new argument you hear floating, it was at, um, I can't remember her name, Raditz. Uh, she's ABC reporter. Yeah, um, Martha Raditz, ABC News reporter. She's interviewing Governor Abbott, our Texas governor, and she's making this point. Now it's getting echoed in all the left-wing echo chambers. Well, you know, uh, Governor Abbott, if you and DeSantis and Trump would stop talking about how the American border is so insecure, we probably wouldn't have a problem at the border. All these people wouldn't be coming here. It's just that you keep advertising for the world that America has an unenforced border. I, I just, I want to interrupt myself to say, I don't know if she, Martha Raddatz, is that stupid and she actually thinks that's what's occurring, that no one would be coming here. No, no enticements have ever been made by anyone else. And the only reason all of these hordes of illegal aliens are pouring into America at our southern border is because Trump, DeSantis, and Governor Abbott all keep pointing out our borders unenforced. I don't know if she's that stupid. I don't think so. I mean, she's been a reporter a long time. She's fully aware, uh, if she wants to be honest, she's fully aware that even under Biden, the messages, excuse me, even under Obama, the messages were going out to Central and South America. Come on in. You know, we're, we're really very friendly in America. You know, we don't really enforce our southern border. Are you kidding me? She knows this, but she's trying to find a way to convince the American people to not put the blame square on the Biden administration about this disaster unfolding at the southern border. 55,000 immigrants are right over the border, just outside the city of El Paso, which already has declared an emergency because of all of the illegal aliens who've poured in, made it already, and there are 55,000 more ready to pour in as soon as Title 42 drops. So Raditz and the left are trying to come up with a some something that you'll hear I swear you'll start to hear it out of the mouths of your left-wing friends. Well, you know, it, it just really wouldn't be so bad down there if it weren't for Trump and Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott keep advertising. Why don't they just be quiet? No one would. I mean, it's just so absurd. So I don't know if Raddus is that stupid or if she thinks the American people are that stupid. But most people can figure out that this is an absolute policy put in place by the left wing of America, by the Biden administration. They're just letting people pour in because it is the ongoing, in the words of Jim Carrey, the phasing out of um, ourselves. This is Biden, the phasing out of America and our unique sovereignty in our nation state. So that you'll hear that argument. Do not buy it. Um, I do want a quick play. There are two quick clips I had. Um, one was... Um, this is from Fox News, uh, and this is the uh, mayor of Denver. Now, Denver, I looked it up, by the way. Denver is not in a border state. Denver's in Colorado. 
the uh, closest direct uh, to go from Denver to a border location is a thousand miles. And Denver is now overwhelmed with illegal aliens, illegal immigrants trying to find ways to, uh, you know, to house them, to accommodate them. They're trying to put out a warning. Can you please, I mean, look what's happening to us. Let's quick play this clip from the, uh, re related to the immigrant problem, illegal immigrant problem in Denver. They have across the, the nation. nation. I, I know, know that, that Denver has uh, somehow arranged an emergency shelter, shelter which, which I, I believe is probably going to turn into a refugee camp. camp. The city's saying social media played a role when people decided to come here. Some came from Venezuela, which has a temporary protection status through March of next year. That status allows Venezuelans to work in the U.S. for two years, but it only applies to people who have been here since at least last year. Yeah, we, we can cut that off, I think. Um, I do want to, you know, I want to make a couple points about that. Before I do, we're about to get to the bottom of the hour. If you're listening on Brideon Radio, thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our show is America Can We Talk. You can watch the show, watch interviews on our website, americacanwetalk.org. And also, you're about to go off on a three-minute break. I'll be right here waiting for you to come back, so please come back. You're listening to America Can We Talk, Debbie Georgiatis on radio. Come back after three minutes. Back to this whole issue of the southern border. This is not, I, I'll make a couple of the points that really matter. Uh, El Paso, which is in Texas, of course, has been hit by a 255% increase. They've always had illegal immigrants sneaking over the border into El Paso because we've, we've not been able to have a secure border there. Uh, Trump tried very hard, could not get the funding and everything set up needed to actually protect the people of America, uh, those living in El Paso and other places. So they've been hit by a 255% increase in migrant encounters. Uh, and, and they, um, <laughs> among many other things, they start fires. The migrants start fires to stay warm. Um, there are 55,000 uh, migrants just ready to pass over into the U into U.S. border, um, cross U.S. border uh, happening right now. Um, so we have just a massive, massive thing going on with the with the borders. And one thing I thought was really interesting um, to um, share with you, uh, the mayor um, in El Paso actually gave a little interview and he was talking about the idea that he'd been told not to complain, not to make public statements about the fact that El Paso is overrun with illegal immigrants. And I'm very aware how the left tries to make this sound like, oh, you're xenophobic, uh, you don't care about people who don't look like you, or you don't care about people who are poor. That is not the point. America is enormously generous. We help people in poor countries. We have a very generous legal immigration system. We could always change that law. But the point that what is is occurring is the left is simply not enforcing the law at the border. So letting more people in on purpose, letting them get lost in the heartland of America someplace. And, um, and then ultimately they'll become citizens when there's enough power in Washington for the left to have that. But the other thing is doing, I used to just think that was the worst thing that you know, we're going to have the uh, left bringing all sorts of illegal immigrants into America. And as soon as we had a big amnesty, uh, they become citizens and they'd be sympathetic to and you know, uh, want to vote for the party that gave them, that let them come here uh, illegally and let them stay and made them citizens. So it's just like you know, breeding a whole new uh, raft of Democrat voters and make themselves a permanent Democrat voting base. But it's even worse than that. That is true. That is exactly what is occurring. Um, but it's also this larger point I'm trying to drive home about, you know, hearkening back to Jim Carrey's line, a liar, liar, about, you know, my plan to phase myself out is nearly complete. Biden's plan of phasing out America's strength, identity, unique identity as a sovereign nation, as a nation rooted in the ideas of our founding, that is the Biden agenda. And that is why they are abandoning the border. It's not just to get a Democrat voting base. It's just so overwhelm America that there will be actually no choice but to let the federal government have more and more power, take more and more of our, our assets, our, our ta tax money from individuals and businesses that create jobs to feed and house and clothe and educate all these people they're letting come here. It is not just a, they want a permanent voting base. It's actually far worse than that. Um, there's also a, a border facility in Texas. I didn't get a chance to get uh, pictures of this to Emilio, my wonderful producer, uh, but Texas is overwhelmed. Our border patrol is, uh, I mean, they, 
have pictures of these massive centers that are just filled with people. They don't have enough supplies or anything else to accommodate um, all of this influx of this invasion into America's southern border. And I was talking to a friend um, a couple of days ago. Uh, she works for this organization that tries to help trafficked girls uh, and boys, but I mean trafficked young people. And talking about what this, so she has been down the border several times. Was talking about how it's happening at the border in these border uh, communities in Texas and other places. The people who actually worked hard to own land, owned a ranch, own a ranch, own a farm, you know, the American citizens, they are literally being overwhelmed in their homes by illegal immigrants who don't just cross into the country and say, you know, I really, really am desperate. Please help me and please, you know, feed me and house me. Uh, they are they are aggressive, belligerent, banging on their doors, illegal immigrants on the doors of American citizens, banging their doors, demanding, give me some food, uh, give me some clothing, give me this, give me that. Uh, and, they're, and they engage in violence toward these homeowners. Uh, these homeowners have to find uh, you know, evidence of the presence of these people camping on their grounds, uh, often finding people, sadly, who passed away, uh, deceased people who attempted to enter America illegally. It is a, you know, it is a human travesty that is absolutely ongoing with the not just tolerance of the Biden administration, but it is in accord with their efforts, their long-term plan to overwhelm America's southern border, eventually to destroy the existence of a southern border. And it, what they're doing is not compassionate. It's not kind to the children. It's actually facilitating the, the deaths of the, uh, via fentanyl from citizens all over America, fentanyl being manufactured in China or manufactured in Mexico at China's aiding and funding coming into America. I mean, it's a, it's a human disaster. And yet, when Biden was in Texas recently and someone said, well, aren't you going to go visit the border? Uh, the statement by his administration, well, you know, there's no, not, no, not really. We don't really need nothing to see there. It was very dismissive. So we have uh, immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants. Uh, by the way, one last uh, story out of El Paso. Uh, part of what they've started to film there is illegal immigrants um, who get over and they're waiting for someone to come pick them up and take them wherever they're going to hide. They, they have pictures of them climbing in under the manholes into sewers like immersing themselves into sewers beneath the roads. So I understand that people in this world, there is poverty and there is, uh, you know, there, there are countries where there is, it's not just poverty, there's repression, there's political repression, there's religious tyranny, there's all sorts of reasons that life is, can be very challenging in other countries. But at the same time, if America wants to re retain itself as a place where we welcome legal immigrants, every year we could increase the number we want to welcome but we have to maintain ourselves as a, as a society with law and order with borders with a system that allows you to enter legally with an asylum system that has specific standards and if we want to change those standards we can but what you're watching at the hands of the biden administration is their aiding and abetting an invasion at our southern border I am telling you, we are watching the takedown of America at the hands of this president, and really, it's not him because he doesn't know what day it is. It's actually um, the uh, at the behest and control of the um, of Obama, who is really now serving his fourth ter his third term um, as president. Okay, so on, on that, I just want to say it's treachery. What is they're permitting to happen? And the Title Forty Two thing now elapsing. And, and, you know, when Denver is a thousand miles from the border and they've declared a state of emergency, they're telling you we can't handle this. And if there were an administration occupying the White House that really wanted to protect the American people, put the interests and needs and, self and safety and health of the American people first, they would, out of compassion for everyone involved, the illegal immigrants, the children, the women who are being smuggled, the, the people who are going to perish because of all the fentanyl coming in the country, the compassionate thing, if the Biden administration actually cared about people, cared about America, cared about people, would be to firmly shut down the border, to fund a massive increase in border patrol, insist on closing the border, build the, ball, the wall where it is needed, use the Remain in Mexico policy, and, and create an, an orderly system at the southern border. And please understand, the Biden administration has no interest, no interest 
in doing that. I don't even believe they'll do many of the things they're promising because to them, this is another check mark toward victory for their effort to weaken America, to take America down, to phase America as constituted out uh, in the paraphrasing of Jim Carrey. Okay, I, I just, it's a really, you know, I, I, you can think it's an issue that only matters if you happen to live in one of the four border states. And so you're, only, you know, it's really, you're just communities and maybe got to send a little more funding, but it's not, it is the entire country being, uh, having millions and millions. In fact, there were estimates by the time Biden's done with his first and please God only term, but his first term is something in the range of 20 million new people in America. Most of them adults. These are not young children who are starving, mostly adults, mostly single adults, uh, men. I mean, there are women and there are children, there are older people, but the bulk of the people crossing into America are young men, young single men, and the country being filled with a bunch of people, no right to be here, no allegiance to the ideas of America, no allegiance to the laws of America. And that's who's coming in at the behest and frankly, may I say, invitation of the Biden administration. It is a catastrophe unfolding, just that one issue. And it is part of the ongoing Biden, this, this rolling takedown of America, rolling take, uh, Marxist takeover of America, and many other facets being played out as well, but the border is one all by itself. So it, it's just, we're in a world of hurt um, and, and we don't have very many leaders in Washington willing to speak up about it. Okay, I want to still want to hit two other things. So this is an amazing thing. So Arizona, um, you know, Carrie Lake filed her lawsuit and she spoke at this thing that Charlie Kirk had, the turning point uh, thing. And so I'm going to quick play her. She had a, a longer clip, but anyway, Carrie Lake spoke at this thing and I will tell you that you can get so inspired uh, by the fact that Turning Point USA exists, by the thousands of young people who come to listen to their speakers. So Carrie Lake just spoke at an event there, I think it was a Marifest or something like that. I have a quick clip of Carrie Lake and then we'll talk about her litigation in Arizona. It's really, really important to understand her litigation as well as litigation filed by voters of Mojave County, Arizona. But first let's play Carrie Lake. Okay, I have to tell you, um, I want to hit a bunch of really important points. Number one, if you, you know, Google, which you shouldn't do, if you use Google or many search engines and put in Carrie Lake, among the first thing that comes up is election denier, election denier, you know, kind of sour grapes, can't deal with reality, can't stand the fact that she lost. As you know, she ran for governor of Arizona and the uh, secretary of state, the sitting secretary of state, whose job it is to oversee elections in Arizona was also the Democrat candidate for governor, Katie Hobbs. So Katie Hobbs gets to oversee the fairness of her own election, huge conflict of interest, wouldn't, wouldn't step aside, so there you go. But Carrie Lake, it's, it's analogous in many ways to the 2020 election, uh, as I mentioned in the past with Donald Trump. I mean, you know, big crowds show up. Carrie Lake is just a, you know, she's a, a fireball of energy, very committed to fixing election fraud in this country, very committed to securing the border. She's, she has said if she were elected as governor of Arizona, she would declare an invasion in the terms of the United States Constitution, which allow her many, many powers she otherwise wouldn't have to enforce the border. And she couldn't be limited by um, 
past Supreme Court precedents that make governors worry that they're not really allowed to defend the border because that's the job of the federal government. Anyway, so Carrie Lake has your litigation going. She finished off, I think that speech, she finished off by saying uh, she will take this all the way to the Supreme Court. She's going to keep pressing her case uh, that the Arizona, Arizona election was not um, run well. And that it was, I mean, at the very least, should be redone. I think her remedy she's asking in the litigation she's filed is she should be declared governor. But in the very least, everyone's focusing on Maricopa County, where all the problems emerged. And I thought it was really important to um, try to explain something today, um, that I, I actually read a complaint. So there was a complaint filed by voters in Mojave County. And Mojave County, so the Maricopa County largest number of voters is like 61 or 62% of all the votes in Arizona uh, are, are cast in Maricopa County. And Maricopa County was the one that had massive problems on election day. You know, people couldn't, they, they, the lines were so long, they couldn't wait or they got in and the, the tabulators wouldn't work. And the people don't trust the election officials when they're told, oh, just put your uh, ballot down here. Don't worry, we'll, we'll tally it later. And like, they were like, I don't think so. So there were just massive, massive problems. I want to explain something. And the reason I want to do this is uh, several fold. Uh, one is there are many people, as I said, who are saying, oh, she's an election denier. And she's, it's just, you know, so ridiculous. Uh, she just can't, you know, and anyway, just demeaning her. As I've said in the show many times, if you listen to the show, you know, I say this. Election fraud is the issue that if we don't correct, if we don't make elections, bring them back to honesty and integrity, nothing else matters. No other issue matters. No other policy victory matters. No other persuasion of the American people to see any issue matters. Because if elections are manipulated, no matter how you vote, no matter how the majority of Americans vote, you can't effectuate anything. It's huge to understand this. So what's happened and why this is such a great thing. So in this is what I'm about to describe to you is not Carrie Lake's lawsuit. She's got her lawsuit going um, and says to take it to the Supreme Court. God bless her. That's good. Um, but there's another lawsuit that was filed. And this is for the voters of um, or by the voters of Mojave County. So Mojave County is a smaller county um, in, in terms of population um, in Arizona. And this uh, was filed um, on behalf of certain voters there. Um, and it was filed against the, the defendants are, the people that are suing are Katie Hobbs. So in her capacity as Secretary of State and personal capacity, uh, also suing uh, Stephen Richard, the um, Maricopa County Recorder, um, and his capacity, the people who are members of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, which like in Texas, we have a, um, a county council, which is, is just the county government. But this, in they have in Arizona, uh, the uh, members of the Maricopa um, County Board of Supervisors and their names, Bill Gates, no relation, um, Clinton Hickman, Jack Sellers, Thomas Galvin, Steve Gerardo. So going after the people in Maricopa County who are responsible for the election in Maricopa County. And the summary of the argument of this litigation is this, that because Maricopa County election day was so corrupt, so dishonest, so not just poorly run, but actually in violation of law and in no way likely to lead to accurate conclusions uh, because Maricopa was run so badly that the people of Mojave who voted were deprived of the meaning or the impact of their vote. I mean, if they, they're, they're basically saying it, they ran their election well, so each voter there in Mojave County cast his or her vote and it should be counted and it shouldn't count more or less than a voter in Maricopa County or anywhere else. But if Maricopa County is essentially counting ballots for people who don't exist or all sorts of other ways cheating, so they're adding voters in a variety of ways, adding voters whose vote should not count, that means that the people of Mojave County are being deprived of the efficacy, the outcome, the impact of their vote. It's actually a brilliant argument. And it's just saying that what Maricopa did, it took away the vote of everybody else. It kind of disenfranchised everybody else in Arizona because they 
if you believe the allegation, stuff the ballot box in ways. And that the other thing I want to try to describe to you uh, is, is the gist of this extremely, I think, brilliant complaint. Um, I saw Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote put out a statement saying, you know, this is a, they fully support this, um, this litigation. Uh, and among the people, by the way, um, the plaintiffs, um, there's one is a, a Sonny Borelli, um, who is, um, and then they go on to name other people. Sonny Brelli, I think it's just a lawyer there, uh, but Jane and John Doe, a bunch of people who sign up as plaintiffs saying, my vote, I was deprived of the, I was disenfranchised by, by my vote because I voted, but all these uh, illicit votes were permitted in Maricopa County, diluting my vote, diluting my vote. So therefore I was deprived. It's, it's, it's a brilliant argument if you ask me. Anyway. So let me try to explain, because I read the complaint last night and this morning, and I think it's really important to understand, because the leftists always want to mock, oh, every these people filing lawsuits, there's no merit to them, it's so silly. It's a really great point they're making, and that is this. In Maricopa County, you know, after people cast mail-in ballots, so you get a mail-in ballot at home, you fill it out, and then you put it back in the envelope, and you sign the envelope on the outside, so that is your signature. The signature on the ballot, uh, then you mail it back in or drop it off. And so the signature on the outer ballot, before they even know who you voted for, what's on the inside on your ballot, the signature in the envelope is supposed to match a signature in the system, in, uh, in, in their election system. So they've got you as a voter, you know, J Jane Doe, you're as a voter, you, when you signed up and got your uh, enrolled, uh, you rolled, uh, you got enrolled in the, in the voter rolls, you sign something and that signature is compared with the signature you put on your envelope. And so they usually have people sitting there going, oh, that could be close enough. And so I'm going to tell you what Maricopa County did, which is the gist of this argument, this case. Maricopa County farmed out the uh, comparison, the voter comparison, which has everything to do with whether or not a, a ballot inside the envelope is valid. If because as, as we discovered, if you saw 2000 mules, you know, all sorts of ballots mailed out. And then and, and you know, if there's no comparison of the signature on the envelope with a real voter, then these just you could send out who knows millions people sign anything. And if you're never checking the signatures, you're going to count any ballot that gets sent in, including ones that may have been sent in uh, because five of them went to one person in one state and they filled them all out. I mean, just it's rife with potential for fraud. So, what Maricopa County did: number one, they contracted out the voter signature voter verification of signatures to a company called Runbeck, R-U-N-B-E-C-K Runbeck. But secondly. Runbeck did not hire people to compare the signatures. Runbeck used artificial intelligence. So Runbeck uses artificial intelligence, a machine, a computer to compare signatures. So, so then after that happens, so the machine puts these, these signature uh, comparisons uh, into, um, there's two categories, it's like, um, you know, probably good and probably not good in some other category. So the machine, just, just a, and the machine obviously can only do what it's programmed to do. And it can be adjusted by humans to have it do anything that you want to do. So at the end of the day, you have this artificial intelligence machine deciding what votes, um, whether these signatures match. And then you have um, people, so those ballots that are, that are first assessed by Runbeck's artificial intelligence setup, go over then to the people hired by the state. And the next point in the lawsuit is that they hire, you know, there's a very low, it's just above minimum wage, uh, very low paid workers with no training whatsoever, at least as a parent uh, from anything fine from the state. And these people are, are tasked with looking over what Rumbeck's artificial intelligence said about whether or not signatures match. And they, they have a short amount of time for a massive number of votes and the tendency is going to be, well, you know, someone already looked at this once, might have been a machine, but they looked at it. So, you know, the, the likelihood of flagging things that aren't really matches um, is very low. 
And so it's just the whole thing was just cast off into a, a just impossible to verify uh, system. And let me just tell you some numbers. It's mind blowing what happened in Arizona. And this is why it's such a good lawsuit. So the alleged outcome of the governor's race uh, was that Katie Hobbs supposedly won by 17,116 votes. 17,116. Maricopa County alone outsourced the processing of 1.3 million mail-in or drop-off ballots. So in that number, I mean, the idea that they're trying to even claim this could be considered valid is simply mind-blowing. It's simply mind-blowing. So uh, this, uh, I read the whole lawsuit. I don't have more time today to tell you uh, much more about it. I couldn't in days to come, but um, I think it's very significant that um, that this is being exposed in this lawsuit. It's actually a brilliant argument. If the state lets somebody else essentially stuff the ballot box, if the state lets, Maricopa, lets votes count because Maricopa County stuffed the ballot boxes, box via all these mail-in ballots that got counted by a, a non-person, I mean, there are just um, a lot more details I could tell you. And the more you learn, the more outrageous you'll understand how it all was. One of the quick things, this Runbeck company, uh, that was contracted, uh, the uh, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors contracted with, Runbeck has a whistleblower that's now revealed that the chain of custody, which is huge, chain of custody has to do with actual validity of the ballots, chain of custody for over 298,000 Maricopa County ballots delivered to Runbeck on election day did not exist. I mean, chain of custody is how you say these ballots were either dropped off at this center and they were transferred in this box and, I, and people sign off saying, yes, I picked up you know, 75 ballots here and I brought them here. No chain of custody. These ballots just emerged, just showed up on election day. Runbeck whistleblower saying chain of custody is almost 300,000 Maricopa County ballots with no chain of custody, far, far exceeding the alleged uh, number of votes by which Katie Hobbs claims to have beaten, um, claims to have beaten uh, Carrie Lake. One of the quick thing on this, on this election thing, because I know that people in America say, well, Carrie Lake should let it go. We'll win next time. If we don't fix election integrity, there's no next time to ever win. You won't ever win. And on top of that, the idea that people should complain about when you start to know the facts in Arizona and you're going to complain about Carrie Lake should be complaining about Katie Hobbs. And why doesn't she care? Why? And she's got all these snarky, typical leftist condescending, I should say, Katie Hobbs funded by George Soros to get into her role as Secretary of State. And so she's mocked, she's just this snarky dismissal um, of Katie Hobbs' lawsuit. But also just the idea she would even file a lawsuit. I just want to tell you about something. On the left, the left uses this tactic called lawfare. You know, like, you know what that is? You know, they basically file lawsuits to get their way. They tie up their political opposition in lawsuits because uh, they often can find friendly judges. Just one thing to keep in mind, if people gripe to you about Carrie Lake, Democrat top election lawyer, Mark Elias. Do you mind how many pieces of litigation he has currently pending? He's like the king of lawfare, filing lit election, election related litigation all the time, all over the country, always on behalf of who needs voter ID? Why do we have to have voter ID? Who, I mean, just always on behalf of some effort to steal elections. He has nearly 50 cases, 5-0 pending in various courts, against some GOP candidate. So if he can do that and no one on the left on our side complains, and we don't like it, but he does it, Carrie Lake is being a hero by pursuing this, by being brave, by standing up. By it's a fabulous thing. We all should be supporting her. Um, I mean, it's just mind-blowing that she... Uh, it's mind-blowing she gets this done. Okay, quick last thing on Twitter. Kind of a fun little uh, quick um, thing on Twitter. Um, Two things happening. The latest on the Twitter file releases. So these Twitter files keep getting released. Uh, the latest thing, which is really concerning, and this is because Elon Musk is now simply not going to let Twitter hide things. Um, but one thing that's being released uh, in this part seven is the FBI and the DOJ went out of their way to discredit information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. So the Hunter Biden laptop, bad enough, we talked about that. All his foreign business dealings, which you might have learned about had you been part of Twitter, 
you didn't get to because they they censored it. And so, and it's not just a Twitter dip. The FBI and the DOJ is arm twisting to the point that one of the left wing Twitter people is complaining. They kind of wonder: Is the FBI and DOJ out of line here? It seems like they're really, really pushing. You know, um, they're really, really pushing all this. Um, you know, don't listen to anything about Hunter. Um, you know, sh- shut down everything related to Hunter Biden. I mean, even these lefties at Twitter finally figured out this is kind of problematic. I don't think this is really good. So that's coming out huge, especially when you consider the FBI and DOJ went after Trump for uh, four years. Um, and then uh, among other, the other thing I want to quick say about that. Um, so in fact, I'm going to run out of time I'll quick to say it. So you saw that, uh, I assume you saw Elon, Elon Musk put out a tweet on Twitter yesterday saying, we're taking a vote. Who thinks I should step down as head of Twitter? And so, I mean, you know, he knows Twitter is full of libs and full of trolls and bots. And so, you know, the vote came out over 50% said, yes, Elon Musk, you should step down from being CEO of Twitter. Now, Elon Musk had to know it's going to come out that way because he knows who's in Twitter. So he had to know he's going to be told. I think he wants to get out. I think he's, you know, he made his point by getting a hold of Twitter, by pushing the purchase of it, getting himself as, and he's basically the sole owner. I mean, he's not a, you know, this is not like the, so he's, he's, he owns Twitter. He, now he's tired of running it. A lot of speculation um, that uh, this is, I'm saying he's tired of running it because he just doesn't, this is not his thing. He wants to go invent things and work on Teslas or, you know, SpaceX, whatever he wants to work on, you know, being tied up in the Twitter hassles every day may not be his thing, but a lot of interesting ideas being floated. One being uh, that he apparently went to the World Cup with Jared Kushner, um, the president, son, President Trump's son-in-law, and so maybe he's being looked at as a possible replacement at Twitter. Um, or, but the point is, a control of Twitter, whose CEO is in the hands of Elon Musk. And then a really wild idea I kind of like was this idea that maybe you know Trump can become head of Twitter. He can merge Twitter with Truth Social and have a mega powerhouse uh, social media presence. Uh, Talk about driving the left nuts. All I really wanted to say is I I think it was a little bit game playing. I think if Trump, if Musk wants out at Twitter, he should just get out of Twitter and you know, uh, find someone else to run it. I think that'd be perfectly fine. I think he doesn't want to run it, but I love the idea. I mean, Trump, uh, Twitter is still owned by Musk. Musk is still going to decide who runs it, and uh, he'll get somebody else in who will continue the um, free speech thing. Much more talk about we are out of time, as always seems to happen. Uh, so I do, as I every day, I, I close our show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today uh, talking about January 6th committee, indict Trump, uniparty deep state transparently obsessed with removing Trump from political power. J6 committee final report expected to recommend DOJ indictment of Trump. They did get, they leaked a copy to some news, I think NBC. And so they've seen it and said, yeah, they want, they're recommending indicting Trump. This is a J6 committee that was and is entirely partisan, followed no due process rules, has withheld material evidence regarding Pelosi's actions and the FBI's actions. More than half the country sees the J6 committee as a banana republic, dangerous silliness. But inside the Beltway echo chamber, the J6 committee is convinced of its own righteousness. Much speculation that DOJ indictment of Trump is intended to provoke conflict and to encourage violent reaction among the American people so that martial law can be invoked. Much concern expressed about that. America is in a very dark and dangerous place. Godless left has no conscience. It is consumed by the quest for and the exercise of power. George Washington on his knees at Valley Forge comes to mind. And a Title 42 and the border busting treachery, expiration of Title 42 enabling extra immigration controls for pandemic protection expires later this week. Expectation is for illegal border crossing to expand exponentially after Title 42 expiration. Southern border is in a condition of complete lawlessness at the direction of the Biden administration and with the intent to destroy American sovereignty. Actions of border state governors seem to be for photo ops and headlines, but totally unserious in terms of actually stopping this invasion. Again, as with indict Trump movement, Border lawlessness seems intended to bring America to the breaking point. How much more will the American people take? Left is counting on American ignorance and apathy. Left is dangerously misreading the American character. 
and on Arizona election lawsuit Ground Zero, Carrie and Catherine. Multiple lawsuits in Arizona are exceptionally well lawyered. Arguments, evidence supporting overturning the 2022 election results are compelling, overwhelming. Maricopa County mega fraud does in fact disenfranchise Arizona voters in other counties. The real issue is judicial integrity and moral courage. There will be cowardly ways for judges to avoid bold legal action. Example, judges shouldn't get involved in deciding elections. They could give themselves that excuse. But the people of Arizona know the election was stolen. They know Maricopa County officials are lying criminals. They are totally fed up with every institution failing them. And the American people throughout the country, not just Arizona, are watching the Arizona judges. Will the people of Arizona and America accept judicial cowardice, corruption that denies truth? Do Arizona judges sense the people's impatience for justice? Not possible to overstate the consequence from Arizona's decision. And finally, Twitter, latest in the files, plus Musk out? Elon Musk is difficult to characterize, but he is not stupid. Musk's poll to determine if he should stay on as Twitter CEO reeks of trolling, like he's trolling the I mean, people on Twitter. Musk owns Twitter. He is the board of directors. He's in charge, regardless of who has a CEO title. Speculation rampant for new tw Twitter CEO. Jared Kushner, choice for apoplectic left-wing meltdown. Excuse me, choice for it could have been apoplectic, but also apocalyptic left-wing meltdown. After merger with Truth Social, Donald Trump, uh, that would be unbelievable. Regardless of who is Twitter CEO, the release of the Twitter files, now up to release seven by Musk, has exposed a dangerous cultural rot that flows from deliberate, agenda-driven, government-directed censorship. Ought to be bipartisan consensus to end such censorship. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I meant to say at the start, I'm really hoping you have a beautiful Christmas season, a wonderful Hanukkah time. I am so I love the holiday season. I hope you're enjoying celebrating those. I'm doing my show obviously today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. And I hope you'll tune in tomorrow and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can